Do you remember that day when you came to Christ? For me, it was September the 27th, 1972. I had the privilege of being reared in a godly Christian home. I heard the gospel. I was one of those young people who prayed a prayer at a very young age, four or five years old. I remember understanding the gospel. I actually remember writing a track when I was five, six, seven years old, whatever it was. I remember going to the grocery store with mom and giving it to the cashier. But here at the wilds, when I was about nine, ten years old, I began having some doubts about my salvation, as many young people do, especially you grow up in a Christian home and you're in church all the time and uh, you know, you don't have this story of all these quote-unquote horrendous things that you did, but God began to work in my heart. I was 12 years old in chapel in Northside Baptist Academy in Charlotte, North Carolina, and big evangelist Daryl Dunn was preaching, cowboy, big belt buckle, and um, I remember that day very distinctly that the Holy Spirit just arrested my heart. And I truly believed that if I did not get it settled that day, I may not have another opportunity. And so I just celebrated my 49th spiritual birthday. And I trust you can remember. You may not remember the exact day. You may not remember the exact time of the day. But I trust that you remember a time that you accepted Christ as your Savior. And by the way, we ought to be telling that old, old story to everybody we can, right? Amen. Take your Bibles and join me, please, in Titus chapter 2 this evening. Again, thank you so much for your attentiveness and for your kindness. It's been so nice to meet some of you that we had not met before, and nice to see some of you that we had seen before, nice to connect some dots. And uh, some people, con connections that we have in different places, and uh, I'm thankful for that. Looking forward to the time that the Lord uh, has remaining for us. I did have to go see my hairstylist between the fun time and, <laughs> and the evening service uh, this evening. My wife got a huge honk out of that, um, so thank you for allowing her to enjoy uh, that time this evening. In Titus chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing again to one of his preacher boys. And he challenges him really to set the things in order that are wanting, he says in chapter 1. He tells him he wants him to ordain leaders in the church at Crete. And really chapter 1 is full of warnings about those who are unruly, those who are vain talkers. Those who are deceivers. And he says, Titus, you need to have the boldness. Their mouths need to be shut. They need to stop spreading these heresies. And he says they profess to know God, but their works tell a different story. We come to chapter 2, and notice what he says in way of contrast, but speak. He tells him to speak sound doctrine. That word speak means really just the normal course of conversation. 
as you are interacting with them, as you are associating with them, as you are instructing them, give them sound doctrine. This is a chapter about what it means to be a healthy church. And in this chapter, we see the ripple effect of grace and godliness. Matter of fact, jump down to the last verse, verse 15. We'll come back to the first part. But he says, these things, here's that word again, speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man speak thee, or no man despise thee. In this chapter, he tells Titus to address five groups of people in the church. He tells him to exhort the older men and the older women and the younger men and the younger women and then the servants. The word that Paul uses for the aged men and the aged women could speak of anyone over 50. It's a word used in the book of Acts in that context. It's a word that's used in Greek writing of that day in that context. But I think all of us understand that maturity is not determined simply by age. Maturity is determined by how skilled a person is in applying God's truth to life. Really, having built a life on the Word of God, able to take that knowledge and make wise decisions, wise choices, seeing the matters of life, the issues of life through the lens of the Word of God. And I, I, I'm so excited to, to remind us, and we've been in this series at our church, but to remind us that God's Word has the answer to all of man's questions. God's Word has the solutions to all of man's problems. And our problem is so often we look other places rather than through the lens of the Word of God. Maturity means that I have grown in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I spent time saturating my mind with the Word of God. I have submitted myself to the authority of the God of the Word, and I am willing to obey God whatever he says. And in this chapter, Paul really tells Titus to exhort the older men and the older women to exhort the younger men and the younger women. It's our mission possible for tonight. We've seen about being an encourager. We've seen about being an example. The mission possible tonight is about the ministry, the mission of exhortation. I want to challenge us tonight to be intentional exhorters of God's truth. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for the clarity of your word. And we ask tonight that you would allow your servant to be clear in the communication of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to keep the, the outline just real simple tonight. I want to give you three very simple thoughts about this ministry of exhortation. Would you jot down, first of all, Paul reminds Titus of the seriousness of the responsibility. This isn't something just to be done in a haphazard way. 
This is something he's telling Titus to be serious about. Again, look at the words in chapter in verse 1 of chapter 2. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. That phrase sound doctrine is used five times in the book of Titus. It means healthy doctrine. Somebody said it speaks of the root that produces the fruit of sound practice and sound speech. Right thinking is the material for right acting. You know, we live in a day where so many people are concerned about how they feel. If it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. That type of thing. Do you realize we feel the way we feel? Because we do the things we do. We do the things we do because we think the way we think. We think the way we think because we believe what we believe. And so if we're going to change how we feel, we've ultimately got to change what we believe, which drives how we think, which controls what we do. And then the emotions, the feelings, are a natural spillover to obedience to God's command. Amen? Does that make sense? He's telling him, teach, exhort, sound doctrine, because that leads to righteous living. You can never separate, in the Word of God, doctrine from duty. You look at the book of Romans, first 11 chapters, doctrine. You come to chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren... Because of what I have taught you doctrinally, here's how you live. And he gives them four chapters of instruction. You come to the book of Ephesians. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Do you realize there are zero commands in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Ephesians? It's all about the work of God the Father in his Son, through the Spirit, establishing the church for God's glory. Who we are in Christ is the the theme of the first three chapters. And then you come to chapters 4, 5, and 6, and boom, 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 boom. Right? Doctrine. Believe right, and then do right. And that's what what Paul is telling Titus here. Look down in the same chapter at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. The person of grace... By the way, the person of grace is Jesus Christ. Amen? The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Verse 12, look at the purpose of grace. Teaching us. Did you ever think in the context that grace teaches? Matter of fact, he says here, grace teaches us negatively and positively. Grace teaches us what to stop doing, and grace teaches us what to start doing. Look what he says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Say no to ungodliness and say no to worldly lust. That we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. There's how we're to live. Looking for the blessed hope. Here's the prospect of grace. And the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, here are the people of grace, 
that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. And how are those people known? Zealous of good works. These things, he says, speak and exhort and rebuke. You see, grace just runs through the entirety of this chapter and godliness. Now, some of you are retired. Some of you can set your own schedule. What a blessing. One of our men last week at prayer meeting said, Pastor, my praise tonight is I just want to thank God that I am retired and I have more time to read God's Word and study God's Word and invest in people's lives. Wow! What an opportunity, right? Now, now, many of us, most of us have, you might say we're aged pilgrims. We've walked for some time with the Lord. We've grown. Hopefully we have matured spiritually. But please remember, like we talked about this morning, we've not yet attained. But because of maturity that we have, we have an opportunity to accept this responsibility of exhorting this next generation and even the following generation for God's glory. This is a serious responsibility we need to take it seriously and intentionally would you jot down secondly please the specific requirements of this responsibility and here's where we want to spend some time tonight he exhorts the aged men in verse 2 the aged women in verse 3 4 and 5 and that's where our focus is tonight notice first of all he exhorts the aged men the older men and look what he says here that the aged men be sober grave temperate sound in faith in charity and in patience six virtues if you will of mature godly men that they need to be exhorting the younger men about i've divided into two categories he said there are areas in which we need to emphasize maturity that they be sober grave and temperate the word sober abstinence from alcohol of course we understand but it's a broader term than that it speaks of seriousness sober-minded vigilant clear-headed men who understand that there is a time to have fun aren't you glad that laughter doeth good like a medicine my wife has had to teach me through the years to laugh at myself you know sometimes I would do stupid things and she'd laugh and I'd get mad and she'd say, I'm sorry, honey. It's just funny. And she'd laugh. And so now I've had to learn, you know, somebody comes and messes up my hair. I just laugh at myself. <laughs> but we had a great time tonight enjoying laughter. But we need to also understand when it's time to be sober-minded and serious. 
there's a time that we sit down with these younger men and we laugh together and we enjoy things together. But there's also a time that we get heart to heart, mind to mind, man to man, and say, listen, brother, I see you're making some choices here that violate God's word. We speak the truth in love, but there needs to be this exhortation. I used to be consumed with athletics. Even when we were first married, I was still a huge Braves fan. I told somebody last night, we, we lived in a townhouse in Virginia Beach and paper-thin walls. And those were the days where Dale Murphy and Bob Horner were batting back-to-back in the Braves lineup. And one of them would get a hold of a, a shot and it'd be heading out. And I'm screaming, get out, get out, get out. And my wife said, honey, the neighbors are going to think you're talking to me. But I would set my schedule based on when the Braves were playing or, or when the North Carolina Tar Heels were playing. And I'm not saying enjoying that is wrong. But I will have to tell you that as God has matured me, I've come to realize those things really don't matter. I don't want to bust anybody's balloon, but I don't think at the great white throne or at the judgment seat of Christ that God's going to ask us whether the Braves or the Astros won the World Series in 2021. But he may ask us how we did in exhorting the younger men that he brought, us, brought into our lives. I'm just saying a sober-minded is a man who has come to the place of understanding right priorities. Understanding what God says is of value and most important. Look at the next word there. He says that you be grave. That means honorable, honest, dignified, not frivolous. It's a dignity that produces respect. A godly, mature man is easy to respect because of his commitment to truth his commitment to God. And when he comes into a group where men are, the respect is obvious. And the young men want to hear what he has learned from God in this journey. My wife and I were talking not long ago. We remember the days when we would go to pastor's meetings or pastor's fellowships and we were the young kids on the block. Now I go and I'm among the old men. But what a privilege it is to be able to sit and, and spend some time with some young men that are teachable and that want to know, what has God taught you in this area? What, has God, what have you learned in this area? I look back and I'm thankful for the men who took me under their wing and loved me enough to spend time with me, loved me enough to take me on hospital visitation with them, loved me enough to introduce me into how things should be done properly and in order. You ever thought, men, about when you're going on visitation, calling one of the younger men and saying, how about going with me? How about going to hospital visiting with me? And I realize some of that's limited now because of the 
the COVID, but I'm, I'm just using this as an illustration. You'll understand what I'm saying. You know what Jesus did as he was developing leaders? He first of all said, come and be with me. Just come and watch. And these 12 came and they just spent time with him. And then he said, come along and do. And he gave them some jobs to do. And then eventually he said, now, you go and do. I think those are some good principles about leadership. Come, Come and spend some time with me. I love to take men with me when I go visiting. We're in the car driving from house to house. How are things going in your, in your life? How are things going with your family? How, are, are you just having some time of family devotion? And just having some one-on-one time and just investing into their lives. I'm looking around this room and there are some men with some great spiritual maturity and wisdom and experience. And I know some of you are thinking, well, some of these young pups don't want to hear what I have to say then find somebody who does. Okay? There are some out there who do. And matter of fact, you might just start praying for the ones who don't and ask God to break them until they understand they do. Grave. Sober. Third word he has there is temperate. That again is a disciplined mind. To curb one's desires and impulses. The, the word scholars tell us it speaks of self-control. I prefer to call it Holy Spirit control. An attitude of the mind that leads to prudence and self-control. The ability to make right choices and right priorities. And, and we all have to make those choices. We all have the exact number of hours every single day. None of us have any more. And none of us have any less. And with maturity comes the wisdom to make the decisions and the choices about how to use that time that God has given us. And all of us have many things on our plates much of the time. And the wisdom to say, okay, this is what needs to be priority. This is what needs to be done now. This can maybe be done by somebody else. Maybe I need to be training somebody else to do this. That's been a little hard for me. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. That was my wife giggling. And you know, there was, for many, many years, and again, this is our 41st year of ministry, so I'm being transparent going back some years, but for many years, my mindset was, if you want to do it right, you just do it yourself. But I've learned that that's not what God has called me to do. One of the jobs God has given me to do is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I was at a conference a couple of years ago and a pastor friend of mine was teaching, preaching, and he said, every opportunity is not your responsibility. Hmm. I wrote that down and I went back to the hotel and I told my wife, honey, look what I learned. She said, hmm. Imagine that. And what I did is I began looking at what are the things that I was doing at Mount Moriah Baptist Church that somebody else could be doing, could be trained to do. And God has allowed us to find some men and some ladies that can do things that I used to be doing that was consuming my time, which wasn't allowing me to do 
what God has called me to do. And I think that's, that's wisdom for all of us to, to think about. And that's part of this exhorting and investing in somebody else's life. But he doesn't talk about just emphasizing maturity. He talks also about emphasizing godliness. Look at these next three phrases. Sound in faith. And you could say sound in charity is understood and sound in patience. Sound in faith, healthy faith. Exhort them to know what they believe and why they believe it. What a tragedy that we have so many walking away from the church and from the things of God and turning their back on it. That have a head knowledge, but have no heart knowledge. It's been mom and dad's conviction, or it's been the church's conviction, or it's been the pastor's conviction, but it's not been their conviction. Exhort them to live by faith. Sit down with some of your men and, or a man. Walk them through Hebrews chapter 11. And show them what it means to live by faith. Because without faith it's impossible to please God. Invest in them, sound in faith. Then he says, sound in charity. This is the word I love for charity. It's the agape. It's the unconditional, selfless sacrificial desire to meet the needs in others lives God said commandment number one is love God wholeheartedly we need to exhort younger men to love God wholeheartedly to love others selflessly to love their wives as Christ loved the church one of the greatest things my father-in-law did for me early on was ask me, son, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Well, the Holy Spirit of God just pierced my heart with that question. I began to evaluate that and it changed my mindset. But it was my father-in-law who loved me enough to exhort me. By the way, our friend Les Olila gives us uh, some wisdom here too. He says, questions stir the conscience. Accusations harden the will. If my father-in-law had said to me, you're not loving Alicia like Christ loves the church, there would have been something in this young 23, 24-year-old that would have rebelled against that being presented that way. But when he said, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church, the Holy Spirit of God used that to just begin to work in my life. Sound in faith, sound in charity, and sound in patience. That word is the, the Greek word endurance, perseverance. It speaks especially of perseverance in the face of trials. It's the same word that's used in Hebrews chapter 12. Lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset you and run with this word, patience, endurance. Keep on keeping on. Keep on running. Our young men need to be exhorted to live a life where they keep on keeping on. You're probably going to find this hard to believe, but I've been this height since I was in ninth grade. 
But in ninth grade, I weighed 125 pounds. I went out for the football team. By the way, against mom's wishes. But I'm glad dad had some veto power. I was playing offensive guard and defensive end, and my coach said, son, if you're going to play offensive guard and defensive end, you've got to put on 50 pounds. So he put me on a weightlifting program, and he put me on an eating program, and every night before I went to bed, I ate two peanut butter sandwiches. I drank a milkshake with raw egg and protein powder and went to bed. And I put on 50 pounds, and I played high school ball and college ball at 175. But I remember this coach, and mom, I can never remember this guy's name, but he was about 5'5". He had played football and wrestled for Maranatha, and this guy was just as solid as he could be. He was one of these guys that did special arts, and he used a sword and chopped a banana off my neck one day in chapel, and and my mom about never forgave him. But he would stand, he he taught me to get down in my stance, and I'd get down in that three-point stance, and he's standing right there, and he didn't have on any pads. And he'd say, hike! And he'd knock me flat on my backside. And then he'd stand over top of me and say, get up! I didn't want to get up after a while. But he kept on, and kept on, and kept on. And he kept, he was teaching me, keep going. Even when you don't feel like it. You know, sometimes in life, we get frustrated. Sometimes our younger men say, it's not worth the effort. And they need one of you men to come and put your arm around them and say, yes, it is. You need to be sound in faith. You need to be sound in charity. You need to be sound in perseverance. You need to keep on keeping on. Emphasize maturity emphasize godliness in other words he's exhorting them to be mature vertically and horizontally and by the way don't miss the order be right with god and that helps you be in right with others and then he moves to the older ladies and he gives them some instruction in this requirements as well here uh, and and notice he says i want your behavior to be that which is characterized by holiness the aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness not false accusers not given to much wine teachers of good things nothing that is out of place with holiness should be part of your characteristic part of your life and this is what you need to teach these younger women not false accusers interesting word there It's diabolos. It means slanderer. An accuser is one who lacks the control of her tongue. Not given to much wine, not a slave to it. Speaks of the ability to control the appetites. In In other words, he says you need to teach them not to be idle. You know, sometimes as our children are out of the nest... Sometimes there's a temptation to be idle. When we're idle, I think it was Dr. Bob Sr. that said idleness is the devil's workshop. He says, but by contrast, be teachers 
of good things. Teachers of all that is good, consistent, put in their minds and their hearts the right spiritual and the mental attitudes. And then he moves from the emphasis on their behavior to the instruction that he wants these older ladies to give to the younger ladies, instruction that is practical. Again, he uses that word admonish, exhort, teach, advise. You know, you you mature Christian ladies have the responsibility to share those years of experience and wisdom that God has given you in some very practical areas. By the way, you are the best teachers of the young ladies. Sometimes a younger lady thinks, well, pastor's just saying that, but he doesn't understand where I'm coming from. He doesn't understand my life. He doesn't understand what it means to have five children under 10 running around at my feet. He doesn't understand all the laundry and the uh, the folding and all that kind of stuff and all my responsibilities. But you older ladies have been there can say, yes, I do. Let me help you prioritize. Let me give you some very practical in- instruction. Titus tells these older women, and look what he says. Some interesting things here. That they may teach the young women to be sober. Same word that's used earlier, disciplined in mind and life. To love their husbands. Every time I read that, I ask my wife, how is that so hard? Are you with me, guys? You know, why should an older woman teach, have to teach a younger woman how to love us men? I mean, just look at us. Spend some time with us. We're so lovely. Yeah. Teach them to create a loving atmosphere in the home. Teach them what it means to have a place where dad is excited about coming at the end of the workday. because he has a special place and mama makes him feel special mama helps the children to learn that and that's the next thing is teach them to love their children i know any of you who've had multiple children say there are days that i need some help again we were in charlotte monday and our daughter-in-law has five boys she's all alone 11 9 6 and identical twins that are five and sometimes they are running around the house and literally Wednesday or Monday Alicia and Ashley are trying to fix dinner and they're just running races and all this kind of stuff and I could just see in Ashley's face oh I need some help And I saw Alicia walk over and just put her arm around her and say, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. And she was telling, she said, if you saw my upstairs and the amount of laundry and the folding that never gets done. And Alicia just gave her some practical advice. Okay, your 11-year-old and your 9-year-old and your 6-year-old are old enough to get their own stuff together. And she said, really? Really? 
She said, yeah. And you should have seen the relief. You older ladies have the wisdom to just come along beside them. Can I encourage you? Look for somebody in your church, a younger lady in your church, that, that you can tell there is some frustration. Now, she may come Sunday, she may have a smile on her face. You know, they were fighting on the way to church, but just before they got out of the car, they all put their smiles on. But they may need you to just come and love on them. You know, maybe they need you to say, you know, could I keep your kids one night and let you and your husband just have a date night? They might have a heart attack. <laughs> My wife and I were at a conference, and, and, uh, and, and we have, by God's grace, we've been able to have a date day almost every, every week for 40 years. We've had somebody who was willing to take care of our children, and sometimes that was just driving to Walmart and doing the grocery shopping. Sometimes it was driving to McDonald's, getting an ice cream cone, but some time where it was just us. And we were with a young couple, and they're on the road all the time. They're an evangelist. and They never have any time just alone. And my wife said, next time you're near Virginia, you come. You park your trailer at our home. We'll take care of your kids. And let y'all just have some time. This lady came to me the next day and she had bought a gift for my wife and she said, your wife meant so much to me just telling me that and encouraging me that. Just a little thing. I mean, how much effort would it, I hope it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to keep those two boys. I, I think they'll be okay. But again, we're talking about this sensitivity to seeing where people are, meeting them there and trying to help them. You have been where they are if you can think hard enough you can think back to some of those emotions that you experienced and some of those challenges challenges and some of those trials that you experienced and you may have some wisdom to help them notice he says next to be discreet disciplined in their emotions and in their purity to be chaste Again, moral purity and modesty. Some of our younger ladies today need some of you older ladies to teach them what it means to be modest. Amen? And sometimes that's hard for us men to communicate effectively. But sometimes some of you ladies can help us with that. Keepers at home, having oversight of the home front. Now, this doesn't prohibit them from working outside the home, but it speaks of the priority that God places upon it. I think some of our younger ladies today need to be encouraged by the fact that this is God's priority for you at this time in your life. Your priority, number one, is your husband, your walk with the Lord, your husband, and your children. And the world tells them so many different things. The world tells them, oh, you've got to be successful in the business world or, or you're not anything. You need to tell them, God says, you are, doing, you are fulfilling your priority when you put your home first. He, and then says, use the word, teach them to be good, pleasant, upright, and decent. And then obedient to your husband. 
put it this way, biblically submissive. This is not dictatorial. Again, I, I love my friend Les Ole's, defi- Les Ole's definition. He says, biblical submission is the wife ducking so God can hit the husband. <laughs> and that's really true. The wife ducking and saying, okay. You know, men, we're, we're to be the umbrella of protection in our home. When a wife is biblically submissive, she places herself under that umbrella. And she trusts God to work in the heart of her husband. You may want to write down 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6, to give to some of these younger ladies. I, I've got some ladies in my mind right now who are married to unsaved men. The ladies got saved after they were married. 1 Peter chapter 3 is a tremendous chapter about how they're to respond to them, how they're to love them to Christ. And then men don't miss verse 7 in that chapter, by the way, because verse 7 is the instruction to us. Dwell with them according to knowledge. little rabbit trail here. That word dwell with them means understand them. Get that communication for dummies 101 app. We need to spend some time getting to know them. And some of you guys say, well, if I had an owner's manual, I I could understand her. You do. You say, what's the owner's manual? She is. I'm serious. Learn to ask questions. There's a book on my shelf called The Complete Husband. And the whole purpose is helping men to understand their wives and learning to ask the right questions. Now let me say this. You may need to ask the same question again next week because the answer may change. The favorite color may not be the same next week. I'm just going to tell you. The furniture may not belong next week where it is this week. That's part of her prerogative, right? And part of you understanding, dwelling with them according to knowledge is understanding them. But not only understand them, lovingly lead them. Understand that God has made them, and ladies, I don't mean this by any insult. I'm using God's word, the weaker vessel. And we are to be the loving leaders in our home servant leaders by the way again one of the my favorite books on my shelf is by brother collier and matt williams on servant leadership and ken i was reading that book and you talk about asking your wife what you can do to serve her and i went to my wife and i said honey what is something i can do to serve you to make your life easier. And she said it would really help me if you started fixing breakfast on Sunday morning and I didn't have to worry about that. You know, I said, that's something I can do. And for, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years now, that's one way that I'm able to serve her. Now, men, your wife might not want you making her breakfast, and you better talk to her about that. Just don't. But ask her, lovingly leading. 
My point is, these young men, these young ladies, they're just starting out. Maybe they're five years in, seven years in, ten years in. Some of you are 50 years in in your relationship. You've got some wisdom to share. Why not pick out some young couples and start having them over for a Friday night family fun time or, or for a Sunday afternoon lunch or just intentionally exhorting them, getting to know them, building a relationship so that you have the privilege of exhorting them when you need to confront them with truth. Notice finally, there are some spiritual implications. When we obey this mission to exhort, and when we don't, look with me please, let me show you the verses here, verse 5, verse 8, and verse 10. Look at the last phrase, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Look at verse 8, sound speech, it cannot be condemned that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you in verse 10, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. When we fail to exhort biblically, the cause of Christ can be blasphemed because of our lack of testimony. The truth of God can be honored or it can be condemned based on whether we obey this or we fail to obey it. The doctrine of Christ can be seen as an adornment or as an entanglement. God's name can be glorified or reproached. When we choose to faithfully exhort, then the younger men and younger women are exposed to godly wisdom. Healthy doctrine produces healthy spiritual living. The grace of God is manifested in their lives. You have much to offer you know the world wants to tell us we get to a certain age that we don't have anything to offer and we're of no value i want to tell you you have much to offer you've given your life to christ you have grown in grace and in the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ you've experienced the touch of the master's hand God tells us he exhorts us to exhort them a poem was written a number of years ago about the impact of the master's touch someone put it to music and it goes like this well it was battered and scarred in the auctioneer felt it was hardly worth his while to waste much time on the old violin but he held it up with a smile it sure isn't much but it's all we've got left i guess we ought to sell it too now who start the bid on this old violin just one more and we'll be through and then he cried one give me one dollar who make it two only two dollars who make it three 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 dollars twice now that's a good price Who's got a bid for me? Raise up your hand and don't wait any longer. The auction's about to end. Who's got four? Just one dollar more. 
to bid on this old violin. Where the air was hot and the people stood round, the sun was setting low. From the back of the crowd, an old gray-haired man came forward and he picked up the bow. He wiped the dust from the old violin and then he tightened up the strings and then he played out a melody pure and sweet as sweet as the angels sing. And then the music stopped and the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, now what's my bid on this old violin? And he held it up with the bow. And then he cried, one, give me 1,000. Who'll make it two? Only 2,000, who'll make it three? 3,000 twice, now that's a good price. Who's got a bid for me? The people cried out, what made the change? We don't understand. The auctioneer stopped and he said with a smile, it was the touch of the master's hand. Now you know there's many a man with his life out of tune. He's battered and scarred with sin. He's auction cheap to a thankless world, much like that old violin. But then the master comes in the foolish crowd. They never seem to understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought just by the touch of the master's hand. And then he cried, one, give me 1,000. Who make it two? Only 2,000. Who make it three? 3,000 twice. Now that's a great price. Who's got a bid for me? The people cried out, what made the change? We don't understand. The auctioneer stopped and he said with a smile, it was the touch of the master's hand. Yes, it was the touch of the master's hand. You've experienced that. You have an opportunity to share that. Our mission? Dum, 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 dum. Encourager, example, and exhorter. Will you choose to accept the mission that God has for you? Heavenly Father, once again, we want to say thank you for your word, for your truth. And Lord, I thank you for these men and ladies before us tonight. Oh, the time they've spent in your presence, the time they've grown, the, the journey they have walked, the experience they have gained from your truth, the, the efforts they have spent in building their life on the Word of God needs to be shared. And Lord, I pray that you would help each of us in this stage of our life to commit ourselves to being encouragers, examples and exhorters for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.